Welcome to Getting Curious with Jonathan Vaness. This episode, I want to talk about a very serious topic, and that is strokes. What is a stroke, and what do we do about them? I want to welcome Lena Nee. She's one of my favorite clients. Um, Lena, tell me about what you do. Hi, Jonathan. So um, I work as a postdoc, so a postdoctorate fellow at UCLA, and I recently started uh, managing uh, a research team. So what's postdoc mean? So um, postdoc is typically the first job you get after you graduate from a PhD. So you're a full-on doctor, uh-huh. which if anyone's listening to Getting Curious, they know that I'm a big old fan of PhDs <laughs> um, so much. But so now you this is your first job post that. And what is it that you're studying? So my background is basically neuroscience and vascular biology. So um, I have studied how vessels work, how they function in every organ and specifically in the brain. And um, over time, I started specializing in brain tissue regeneration and how to promote uh, vessel formation after strokes and such diseases to promote wound healing. Um, But when I joined a lab here at UCLA, I actually uh, was offered a job at an engineering uh, department which was quite surprising because um, I do not have any uh, engineering background. Right. So it was a very big challenge for me. And so I am very glad I accepted because it allowed me to uh, basically merge the two fields of tissue engineering on one side and neuroscience on the other one. I love that. So when you were in France, you were basically only studying brain stuff. Yeah. And then you come here. And you're like, and you go to UCLA and they're like, we're going to give you a job in engineering. And you're exactly. like, okay. Exactly. And so with, at that point, that's like a few years ago. Yeah. And then you work and you work and you work and you're studying. And what did you find? Like, what is it? Like, was it, like can, can the brain live again after? Well, wait, first of all, what even is a stroke? Okay. What happens on a stroke? So um, a stroke is a pathological condition where blood flow is basically interrupted in the brain. It's usually caused by a clot that's um, formed in vessels and pushed all the way up to the brain and basically stops blood flow. And so, unfortunately, uh, brain tissue is not capable of living under, you know, asphyxic conditions, which we call epoxic. Is my bicep? Like can my like can my quad or something live under that for like longer than like your brain? Much can? longer. Uh, the other thing also is that the brain is one of the only organ that cannot live under uh, glucose um, oh. withdrawal for too long. So it can't be without sugar. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so it only takes few minutes for brain cells to die after a stroke simply because they are lacking of uh, nutrients and oxygen and glucose. And so once these cells die, it's base it provokes f- the formation of a cavity in the brain where oh. nothing works anymore. And so the idea of using tissue engineering concepts to promote wound healing is to find a way to transplant biomaterials within this cavity to help tissue stand grow. Standby, standby, standby. So a stroke is a pathological about what was condition. condition. So it's a pathological condition in the brain where blood is disrupted for some reason. And then so the because the brain doesn't get blood, it forms a cavity. It cells die. So in the cells die in like so, everywhere or just one area? No, only only in the area that is um 
that is missing glucose and oxygen. So some people get like a front brain stroke. Some people get a back. Some exactly. People get a side. Depending on which uh, artery oh. is actually occluded. The brain region that's going to be affected. How many different. arteries is there? Well, a lot of arteries, but basically uh, six very big arteries that come from the heart and the carotid. Two in the front, two in the middle, and two in the back. And so, you know, the, the deeper the clot gets inside these vessels and the smaller the stroke is. But, of course, depending on the region that's affected, people get um, affected with a different neurological disorder right. or a different symptoms. Why is it the left side? that people, Like, I, I, sorry, ADD moment. But you know how, like, people say, like, it's like, like they get, like, the tingling on the left side before they get a stroke? It's not necessarily the left side. Oh. Uh, if you have, if the blood is interrupted in the right side of your brain, it's your left side of your body that's going to be affected um, because of this switch that happens between the, the nerves that get out of the brain and gets in your spinal cord. So... It usually happens uh, in, you know, the elderly and during their sleep, which makes the whole process of knowing when it happened very, very difficult. And the only therapeutic approach that works or that works uh, very well and and, um, that can be um, administrated very easily has to happen within a window of four and a half hours after a stroke. Oh, so what's four and a half hours is past? Like you, like it's past this, you cannot benefit of this one treatment that's administered intravenously. Oh, okay, got it. And that is, that is what... supposed to distract the clot. Oh, 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 got it. Okay, good. That makes sense. But so, so the stroke is when the thing, when you get the blood clot, and then that's that, and then you can have it in multiple places. Yeah. And there's more than one type of stroke, or just w- like one type? But, um, there are two types of strokes. One is called ischemic, and is uh, due to the blood flow interruption because usually of a clot. The other one is called hemorrhagic, and oh. it's when the blood flow is disrupted because of a rupture of the vessel wall. But in this case, it provokes, uh, you know, a blood flow outside of the vessel compartment. So Uh, that sounds worse. That sounds worse in the first hours and days, but people actually recover much faster than people who do have an ischemia. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Are young people more susceptible to the hemorrhagic one or no? Well, the hemorrhagic one is usually due to a malformation of the superficial vessels in the brain. So you have a predisposition. Exactly. So vessels are not do not have the right shape. And so if you have a very high blood pressure, it could just force blood to, you know, rupture the, the, the vessels because of the shape of them. But of course, it's it's uh, more of a predisposition, I would say. So back to an ischemic uh, stroke, can someone have like two cavities or like can a cavity take up like a huge chunk of the brain? It could take a huge chunk of the brain and the bigger it is. And... The bigger the blood clot is itself? Is that what determines it? Uh, yes. And uh, the region of it is also very important. If it, if it goes up into the front part of the brain, is it can it, the blood clot be so big it like gets into like the middle or the back or is it always isolated into like front, middle or back? No, not necessarily. So it if it's could, really it could bad, completely overlap and be right in the middle of one of the hemisphere and take up sixty percent of your of your hemisphere. So then that's where you come in because once you have the stroke and that's like not fun and you because like 
all that's where we were getting to before I had to like get my bearings because it was like so much smart stuff was coming at me. But like, <laughs> so a whole bunch of stuff can happen like after you have a stroke. What can, what can be your your life post stroke? Like, what can you be like suffering from after you have the stroke? So the symptoms are basically uh, the majority of them are suffering from a neurological deficit. So it's a motor function, which means that half of your body has a paralysis. It affects people's everyday life so dramatically that it's something that, you know, we have to address. So right now, the majority of patients cannot benefit any treatment simply because by the time they get to the hospital, they are incapable of saying when they actually had the stroke, especially if it happened during their sleep. Right. And because they cannot, we cannot administer these uh, clod melting treatment like to a these blood thinner thingy. Exactly. So because we cannot administer this, which is called RTPA, these patients are, you know, facing the issue of having to go through a rehabilitation for years and getting better. There is another thing that patients can benefit from. It's a, uh, intravascular removal of the clot. It's, oh, so it's, like open brain surgery thingy? No, it's not. It's uh, Usually you, you get to the brain from an artery from the body, but it's a very invasive one, and this one has a, a time window that's very short too, although it does function and work well. And it has a uh, very high success. But you basically have to like you like have to be having the stroke, kind of, or uh, about no. to have it. No, you 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 need to just have had it. Oh, just have had it. And, and so it makes this whole treatment very hard because we are talking about a few percentage of people who can actually benefit Do, from any of these treatments. Right. So the rest are have... kind of up shit creek with no paddle, basically. Yeah, because they've. Because, like, it was more than four and a half hours. They can't tell you when that happened anyway. Exactly. And now half of their either, like, and half of their body is paralyzed. Yes. It's basically, like, does it ever make, can it make you blind in one eye? It could, depending on where, if the region. Oh, yeah, yeah. It goes back to the region thing. Yes. But usually it impairs uh, half of your body, your legs. So it's, it's uh, much more motor function. So uh, it's more about moving. So, and then... Ten years ago, if you had had a stroke and you were one of these people who didn't benefit, you can't do the blood thinner, you can't do the surgery, what, like, what could they do for you ten years ago? You just had to go to rehab and hope to get better? Exactly. And you just, like, kind of learn how to walk with one leg, learn how to, like, write with your other hand. So, right now, we are trying to promote wound healing by engineering new treatments using, you know the knowledge of other fields. And so this uh, using tissue engineering concepts to try to find a treatment is a very, uh, it's a very new, innovative, but a very new option. So we have not got to the point where we can suggest this to patient. We are still in the research, the research path. Got it. So now the idea is because we know that once cells die, they shrink. Right. Then you have inflammatory cells that get in the brain and take out all the debris. So once these dead cells are out, you end up having a cavity that's empty. And the fact that it's an empty compartment makes it so difficult for brain cells to infiltrate this part and regenerate the lost tissue. So the idea here uh, with using tissue engineering is to transplant a biomaterial that would basically be a scaffold. So that cells can use this to adhere 
and infiltrate the tissue. And hopefully we form a physiological network where they can function correctly. Okay, stand by. Quick little baby break. Yeah. We'll be right back for more with Getting Curious with Lena Neat. I'm Allegra Ringo, a dog owner. And I'm Renee Colbert, a dog wanter. And we host a show called Can I Pet Your Dog? The podcast for unapologetic dog lovers. You can find us every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org or on iTunes. So, now what is this? Is this just a podcast where all we do is talk about dogs? Sort of. Uh, We definitely have a segment called Dogs We Met This Week, where we tell you about, you know, dogs we met this week. We also have a segment called Dog Heroes, as well as Cool Dog Tech and Stupid Dog Tech. We also have some of your favorite celebrities. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who did Hamilton, has been a guest. We've got Leslie Margarita. Uh, We've had Nicole Byer, Ann Wheaton, all the best uh, dog-related celebrities. So check us out every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org or on iTunes. Can I pet your dog? Can I pet your dog? Renee and Allegra. C-I-P-Y-D. Welcome back to Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. We've got Lena Nee in studio today. She's a scientist at UCLA. And so far, she's basically caught me up on what a stroke is, what it does to your brain, and the beginnings of new horizons for new treatments for stroke victims. So welcome back. And what we were saying was, is basically after you have a stroke, you are left with stroke victims are left with varying degrees of a cavity or a wound in the brain that is basically like void of stuff. It's just nothing going on in there. She didn't have her oxygen. She didn't have her glucose and she is checked out. So then Lena comes in and we are trying to figure out new ways to get messengers, little messengers into the, into that dead space to make it alive again. Exactly. So how do we do this? So um, the idea here is to uh, give back to this tissue a scaffold for the cells to infiltrate and grow. So in the engineering department where I work, we design and engineer biocompatible and biodegradable materials that can be transplantable right into this empty cavity. Standby. Biocompatible is like something that would work for that area. Like, but like, what's biocompatible and bio and those two words for people that aren't scientists? Sure. So, uh, biocompatible would mean that um, it doesn't provoke any toxicity in the brain. Got it's it. completely accepted by the human body as if it was a it's part own. of it. And then biodegradable means that it goes away. Biodegradable means it goes away over time and gets degraded as the tissue is infiltrating it and replacing it. That's so smart. Okay, so how do you make? So where does that material come from? So there are a bunch of different materials used out there. The one that I have been working on uh, for for a few years now is um, uh, hyaluronic acid (HA). Um, hyaluronic I, acid. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we use that on our faces Absolutely. and stuff. That's a beauty stuff that makes us more plump, more supple. That makes sense. Uh huh. So this is a very natural protein found in any, you know, of our tissue. So this is the reason why it's so compatible and not provoking any toxicity in the brain when transplanted. We also know that this tissue promotes vessel formation where it, where it's transplanted. So it is, for me and uh, for my studies, one of the best candidates. Right. So now we can 
engineer this material to be more or less stiff or soft, depending on where we want it transplanted. We can also load this material with stem cells, with growth factors, with anything that we think the brain would need. And so recently we have, for example, encapsulated stem cells in it. Inside the HL. Inside, inside the HA. Oh, yeah. Hyaluronic acid. H- Hyaluronic acid. Yeah, HA. Uh, so cells are encapsulated in it, and we can, we can observe and see them grow and reform a network in 3D in vitro, which means outside of the body, just in what people, oh. what non-scientists call a Petri dish. Right. So we know that these cells love uh, growing in these materials. So the idea is, what about we transplant this material with stem cells in the brain and see if these cells could reconnect not only between themselves, but with the rest of the tissue and hopefully regenerate the lost tissue. Have you seen any cases where we've been able to, where that could potentially like restore the brain back to how it was beforehand? So all the experiments right now are preliminary, but uh, a lot of already published articles have shown that you could promote tissue regeneration better than without it. Okay. So it does have a a beneficial effect on promoting wound. Now, people are trying to load it with different therapeutic agents to make it even better or try not only to make the tissue regenerate, but try to make the transplanted animal, if it's an animal experimentation, uh, recover from their deficit. We usually do this entire experiments um, on animals. Baby mice? Baby mice. Adult mice. adult mice? Oh, yeah, adult. Yeah, yeah. Mice. Yeah. But not like monkeys. No. But even though it's sad no, or whatever. No, 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 no. But I mean, it's not like we can do it on people. So people, we got to get through this. I mean, so, if your mom or dad has a joke, you would need to have this done on a freaking mouse. I'm super sorry, PETA, but that's just how it goes. Well, unfortunately, this is impossible for us to go from something that you see in a Petri dish to a patient in the hospital. Yeah. You need an in-between step where you can test for toxicity, for the beneficial effects. You need to, you need to understand exactly how this is working before you actually transplant someone for real. Yeah, I mean, of course. So, and then, like, in which, like, thank you, mice, but whatever. So, do you think in, like, Five, ten years, this could... Like, so my grandma, God rest her soul, Anne, love you so much, I miss you, you were the best, but she had this helper named Joyce, who had a heart attack, and then she had a stroke in the hospital. It was like her left arm, like her left side got, like, mostly affected. She got... Actually, I think she was in the hospital when when she had the stroke. Like, she made a pretty big recovery, but she still has problems with the left arm. So do you feel like in, in five, ten years, do you see, like, this type of treatment, like, maybe getting people who... Can't, like their left arm or their left leg doesn't work like working again. Do you think that could be something that could happen in the future? I hope so. I I truly hope so. I we can see like as you said, people do recover slowly. So there is what we call an endogenous mechanism, which means a mechanism of your own body to help you restore the loss function. Now, this is very, very, very slow. Right. Some people do not recover fully. Some it has people to work take like around years. the cavity. Absol- absolutely. So the idea here is that we are trying to make it faster. Right. So we are trying to promote the function of these endogenous mechanisms. How can we push them to be even better right. and even more functional? That is so cool. And, and we're having full-on results because this is something that, like, wasn't even in our 
field like or we weren't even thinking about this like 10 15 years ago no not at all so where did that uh, where did that revolution come from like like the like like how did it even happen that like a brain scientist ends up getting involved in engineering in my case <laughs> yeah um because that's kind of cool like it seems like you know like like in hair like you know colorists do color and stylists do stylists but i'm one of those people that does both and i think you actually get more beautiful work from like you know, combining. It's yeah. good. So I can say that, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was definitely not as common as now. Uh, unfortunately, as you said, people tend to stay in their one own field. Plus, their specialty gets more and more narrow over time. And so collaborations between different fields has become a very very innovative and promising way to find answers to these questions that none of the fields can completely answer. And so combining hair tissue engineering and neuroscience uh, is truly something that I believe could have a humongous potential in bringing new treatments to patients. And even like beyond stroke, maybe like for like, if you had like spine stuff or like all sorts of different Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Uh, a, a lot of studies uh, are actually ongoing on trying to promote uh, nerve formation by transplanting body materials in the spinal cord, for example. So the same exact... Uh, um, thought process system but, exactly, but just exactly. in the spine instead of your brain. Exactly. So then, if so, then obviously, you know, in kind of wrapping things up with like that is amazing. I mean, we could do a whole other episode on just brain engineering in general. But with what you've seen with stroke stuff in your career, it's like, what do you say? Like, what do people look for? Like, if they're awake and like, and you're with like your like. Well, first of all, young people can have strokes, right? Unfortunately, the age of patients is decreasing over time. I myself have a very good friend who had a small but still a stroke at the age of 29. That's what I'm saying. So it could happen to any age. It could. It could happen at any age. Uh, what do you look for? What does it feel like? Like what is like? What should people it's be? Scary. On? It's scary, and we don't have a one unique, precise answer for why is this happening and why do uh, patients that come to the hospital with a stroke are so much younger than before. Now, one of the potential answer, of course, is the way we eat. Yeah. The way we eat has tremendously changed over, you know, the last 30 years, and is thought to be responsible for a lot of all of this happening. But what do people look for? Like, what could a stroke feel like? Like, if you're like, oh, I have a headache and my foot's tingly, should you run to the emergency room? So it's usually without any pain. It's not necessarily painful. But you do not feel your leg or your arms very much. You don't feel half of your face neither. You have difficulty speaking to because of because of right the way you move your mouth, like it, right before it happens, like you might have trouble talking. No, you feel nothing before. Oh, but then as it's happening, you might as be... it's happening, you just feel that you do not feel a part of your body, and this is exactly what happened to my friend, the twenty nine year old girl who has a very calm, quiet life of a nine of a twenty nine year old girl. Yeah, who just woke up because she couldn't turn on the other side. Because she was not feeling her arm and her leg. So she went to the hospital right away. 
they found out that she had a stroke, but they spent so much time at the emergency that the four hour were done. Oh, it had? Uh, It was already over by the time she got there? Yeah. Because of the ambulance, because of the time she got there, because of the time she had to wait at the emergency. Plus, she didn't quite look, you know, bleeding or anything. And she could say, she could tell them that she was not feeling her face very well. She didn't have the time that she had a small stroke. And so, unfortunately, people who do have a first stroke have a higher risk of having a second one because the clot that interrupted blood flow in the brain was there. So you might have other clots here or there that might be pushed up to the brain at some point. And so then you would have to be on like blood thinners and stuff like that, hopefully, to prevent. So the idea is you just have to live the most healthy life that you can to not have clots at all. Right. Wow. Because so, the same clots are, that block blood flow in the brain are exactly the same one that provoke heart? heart attack. Oh or they God. are the same ones. Right. They're just not on the, on the same track. Like, organ, exactly. So basically, so it's like, if you ever have tingling, like, get your butt to an emergency room as fast as possible. And as we wrap up, did you hear about that lady who was in the shampoo bowl and had a stroke? No. This lady, apparently, she was getting her hair washed. She had her head back, and she, like, literally had a stroke in the shampoo bowl. She lived, though. Um, but, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was crazy. That's actually where I got the idea to do this podcast about strokes, because I hope that never happens in my shampoo bowl. I'll freak out. <laughs> I would absolutely have. But I know who to call. To, I know where to send them. But if them it does happen, after. remember to uh, look at the time. Yes. The time is remember so Remember to look hours. at the time, because, and call the emergency right away, and tell them that you think she does have a stroke. And tell them, I think it happened exactly at that time. And it is really important. So if you're walking away from this podcast, you guys, time of stroke is so important. And when you think you're having one, emergency room, like, right away. It's not something to mess around with. Because those four and a half hours are, like, really your golden window for, like, for having hope of getting it better as fast as possible. Exactly. Um, wait, Lena, so where can people find you and keep up to date with all of the amazing work that you're doing? So they can Google Segura Lab. Um, because this is the engineering uh, lab where I work of uh, Dr. Tatiana Segura. And uh, on my LinkedIn. So, and then we're on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com forward slash Lena Nee. <laughs> exactly. Here's so Lena Nee on LinkedIn. Find it for yourselves, you guys. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. If you enjoyed the show, please tell us. Share it with all your friends on Facebook, Twitter. Leave gorgeous comments. Let us know that you love it. We really appreciate it. Um, Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks to her for letting us use it. Getting Curious is produced by Christian Duenas and Colin Anderson for Mm MaximumFun.org. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.